Welcome back to the Midfield Politics Podcast. My name is Luke James, and as always, I'm joined across the dispatch box by Zach Green. This episode, episode number 41 of the Midfield Politics Podcast, is being recorded at six minutes past four on Friday, the 18th of June, 2021, which means, importantly, Sweden have just beaten Slovakia 1-0 at the European Championships. Perhaps more relevantly, though, the Liberal Democrats pulled off a stunning by-election victory last night. Zach, I'm assuming that's what's caught your attention over the past 72 hours or so. Uh, Absolutely. It is one of those sensational results. It's one of those ones where you can't really prepare to react to it because you you didn't think it would happen. It was one of those results where simply even the most optimistic Liberal Democrat thought that perhaps they would push the Conservative close in Cheshire and Amersham but not actually take the seat. It's simply simply incredible so this by-election is something that zach and i haven't really covered on the show purely because we didn't think it was going to be quite so significant i think a lot of people who cover politics and talk about politics thought this was going to be a reduced conservative majority they they went into this by-election in in cheshire and amersham with a sixteen thousand majority in a seat that had always voted conservative so you can probably forgive us for thinking this probably wasn't going to be kind of at the top of the news agenda come friday morning but that is the situation that we are in of course what i should do i should probably explain what this episode is so episode 41 of the midfield politics podcast we're just focusing on this single topic it's like an emergency bonus podcast it's only going to be about half an hour as you can see from from the timestamp and and the length at the bottom of your podcast feed so to give you a brief overview the Liberal Democrats have pulled off a stunning by-election victory, overturning a 16,000-vote majority in a seat that has always voted for the Conservative Party. Liberal Democrat leader Sir Ed Davey celebrated their victory by knocking over a wall of blue bricks, claiming his party is now the main threat to the Conservatives in many areas. The Liberal Democrat candidate Sarah Green won the vote, by eighteen, by 8,028 ballots, with the Green Party in the third place. Meanwhile, the Labour Party had its worst ever by-election result, picking up just 622 votes. The outcome of this by-election, which was caused after the previous MP passed away, leaves the Liberal Democrats on 12 members of Parliament in Westminster. If, if you're looking for the Prime Minister's summary of events in a single word, Boris Johnson described the result as disappointing for his party. Meanwhile, this is what Sir Ed Davey had to say at the Victory Party in Buckinghamshire this morning. This is a great result, a huge swing to us. There are many Conservatives across the country who are now worried. People have been talking about a red wall. Well, after Chesham and Amersham and Sarah Green's victory, they'll be talking about a blue wall and how the Lib Dems are the main threat to the Conservatives. People have felt ignored and taken for granted, and we listened. Sarah Green is going to take these concerns to Parliament and hold this appalling Tory government to account. In her victory speech in the early hours of Friday morning, Miss Green said, Tonight, the voice of Chesham and Amersham is unmistakable. Together, we have said enough is enough. We will be heard, and this government will listen. Rousing words, Zach, from, from the Liberal Democrats. First of all, what was your immediate reaction to the news? 
well, I, I, I put out a little thread um, probably about an hour after the result, and I ended the thread by saying, essentially, to paraphrase Mark Twain, reports of the death of the Liberal Democrats have been greatly exaggerated, and results such as this definitely demonstrate that. And all of these months during the polling of the joke about the Lib Dem surge, well, it's started to come into reality, hasn't it, that they've gained over 30 percentage points. The actual swing to the Liberal Democrats is about 25.1%. It's, I think, one of the biggest ever swings in a by-election. Certainly, I think it it eclipses Hartlepool in terms of the shock factor. And my reaction really is that, yes, the Liberal Democrats are not completely back, but there's definitely a way back for them in a way that we didn't probably see a few months ago, that really the Liberal Democrats at one point did appear like a spent force in, in British politics. But as with political life in this country, you can't really make such declarations and then be proved to be, look really silly afterwards. I think you saw Jim Picard of the Financial Times said if the um, Liberal Democrats were to take this seat, this was about half ten last night, he'll eat his hat, similar to what Paddy Ashdown done in 2015. I suppose he'll be eating a chocolate hat at the, this morning. Yeah, and I think we'll probably be talking about that tweet a little bit later on in the show because Dominic Cummings had some interesting things to say about that, some of which I I thought were a little bit off the wall. So if you're wondering, I I think the way we should probably approach this podcast, Zach, is first to kind of introduce how this has happened and and the political atmosphere in the seat and, and, and why this result, this shock result for the Liberal Democrats came about. So this is a seat that has, for a long, long time, been pretty opposed to the HS2 rail line, which is being built through the constituency. And there are also concerns locally about the government's planning reforms, which could see homes being built in rural areas. So these are both kind of things of, of obvious local concern. If we again look over to the Prime Minister, this is what he said this morning. So Mr Johnson attributed the defeat to local issues and insisted the government was focused on uniting and levelling up within regions across the whole country. In responding to suggestions that his party's house building plans had led to defeat, Boris Johnson said that there had been a willful misunderstanding about planning reforms, adding that the government wanted to develop brownfield sites rather than build all over the countryside. Now, there was a really interesting um, concession tweet and, and speech, in fact, from the Conservative candidate who was defeated. His name is Peter Fleet. So this is what Peter Fleet tweeted. In the early hours of this morning, just three minutes to three here in the United Kingdom, Peter Fleet tweeted, I am deeply disappointed that the people of hashtag Chesham and Amersham have, under the extraordinary circumstances of a by-election, voted for someone else to represent them in Parliament. Our work to regain the trust of local people begins today. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, at LukeJames underscore 32, you would have seen that I was a little bit taken aback by this week. It, it came across to me as though the candidate was almost telling off the constituents for not voting for him. It was it was, it was a weird choice of language. And I think if you listen to to the concession to the concession speech last night, it, it struck a similar tone. Now, what we've basically heard there in in the summary that I've just given is that planning and HS two were very big issues in this election. So, Zach, was this just a case of the Liberal Democrats mopping up the not-in-my-backyard vote? Because that's what has been accused from kind of conservative 
voters who have said this is kind of just a one-off event. The Liberal Democrats are, are going anti-house building, which which is not a policy that can be replicated nationally. Or is there a little bit new, more nuance to this story? I think it strikes similar similarities to Hartlepool, that really the Conservatives can't have their cake and eat it. In Hartlepool, they were saying it's the beginning of this permanent shift towards the Conservatives, that the Conservatives are the party of the working class, etc. Yet they're saying that this result in Cheshire Manager is merely a one-off. Well, I don't think they can have it either or. I think there's a middle ground here that, yes, I think local issues have definitely won out for the Liberal Democrats. And more often than not, I think when you actually look at campaigning, the Liberal Democrats are very effective local campaigners. However, if you look at the extent of the swing, 25.1%, there's something I think deeper, that there is a beginning of this political realignment, that in this, what we call, and we've said it for weeks on this podcast about blue suburbia, that this is a place to watch, not just in local elections, but the next general election, that if this shift with the Conservatives are happening in Hartlepool, where they're becoming, I won't say it in as crudely as I do on Twitter, but let's just say very nationalistic, very patriotic um, imagery of the Conservative Party has resonance in Hartlepool. I don't think it has as much resonance in places such as Cheshire and Amersham and these places such as Whitney as well, Whitney, Watford, all these kind of uh, more affluent um seats that are undergoing demographic change themselves. I think there's so many competing forces at play here. I don't think you can just dismiss it as not in my uh, as not in my backyard vote. However, it shows that the Liberal Democrats with a set of policies such as no to HS2 really do have a way back in these seats and the Conservatives are going to find this very, very tricky at the next general election, I think. The reason I mentioned kind of the not in my backyard kind of argument was because some of the discourse that we're seeing on social media today is that Liberal Democrats have framed their campaign around kind of not having mass building in this area. And there was an image of the leaflet that basically alluded to certain sections of the government's um, plans for the planning and development, one of which would essentially give planners and, and, and developers and investors in, in property more power to build kind of the, the, the projects that they're interested in and now obviously people who live in slightly more rural areas have concerns about that because the value of their properties is somewhat tied into the fact that that they do live in rural areas and if you build more housing of course that kind of undermines the character of the place that you live in and I think the important thing to remember and the important thing to note in this instance and why I think it's slightly disingenuous to say that this is simply a case of not in my backyard is because yeah okay so for example the hs2 stuff is somewhat not in my backyard i, I think that's an easier argument argument to make but when you look at the planning stuff i think that was more of a kind of policy-based argument about well there should be tighter restrictions on how government manages this it should be more about kind of who is allowed to build what where and when rather than no you're not building in my vicinity at any point in time i think that's the important distinction to draw now if we have a quick look at the vote share and the vote numbers, so Sarah Green of the Liberal Democrats came home with 21,517 votes, Peter Fleet of the Conservative Party, 13,489 votes, Caroline Colbert of the Green Party, 1,480 votes, and last but not least, Natasha Pantelich for the Labour Party, 622 votes, followed by Alex Wilson of Reform on 414. 
Turnout was 52% in this by-election. Zach, if you had to sum this up in a headline, what would it be? Uh, in a sentence or a word? I'll give you like... I'll give you a paragraph. A complete political earthquake in blue suburbia. That was a very short paragraph. Um, I think I think the interesting thing about this, um, actually, first thing, first of all, and this is completely irrelevant to the broader conversation, but I absolutely detest the phrase blue wall because the whole idea of uh, I, I don't like the red wall much either, but the red wall kind of made some sense and it was kind of just a, a term imported from American politics. But the blue wall doesn't exist because the blue wall is basically the whole of the South. So the only way that you can talk about a blue wall is if it's like the uppermost part of the blue wall where it kind of meets the red wall. Again, terminological nonsense, but I thought I'd raise the point. I think for me, yeah, I, I, I go with a similar argument. I think this is a really, really significant result in terms of of more broadly speaking. And there was an interesting article by Laura Ginsberg this morning on the BBC website that basically argues or suggests that there are some people in the Conservative Party that are a little bit worried about how closely the Tory brand is being tied with the fate of Boris Johnson. Um, if I just find a section here. So some th this is a quote from, from Ms. Kinsberg's um, article this morning. Something was going on that the Tories election winning machine didn't fully notice, which may feel like a nasty surprise. And it underlines some fears among Tory MPs in traditional Conservative areas that brand Boris, with its focus on trying to grab new territory, alienates their core support. While Mr Johnson was overwhelmingly chosen by party members as their leader, that's not the same as him reuniting everyone behind him. He has plenty of detractors inside his own ranks, furious at how provocatively his government has behaved and frustrated too with some aspects of his political style. Overall, the local elections in May were a good set of results in England for a sitting government, but the Tories slipped back in well-heeled parts of the country. So, apologies for introducing another terrible piece of political jargon. You see, Lurikenberg and I agree on something. Where these cracks in the blue wall? Now, the argument goes that yeah, this is this perhaps is a crack in the blue wall, if we're allowed to use such a phrase. And the question I think going forward is how does how do the Conservatives manage this situation? Because I think the, the general idea is that the more that the Conservatives focus on winning these seats in the North, the heart of the poorest of the world, how are they going to hold on to seats in the South that aren't quite as pleased with the discourse that the Conservatives are pumping out at the moment, aren't as happy about kind of ideas about kind of where the, where the Tory party is going at the moment. So Zach, are we going to see more of this heading towards the next election? <laughs> I think we will. And uh, a one uh, I saw to Sam Coates' analysis as well on Sky, he's saying that really something you can also pluck from this is that tactical voting is simply alive and kicking. And if there is an anti-Tory appetite in these constituencies, then very, it's very plausible, very possible that places such as Cheshire and Amersham can be kind of this domino effect that there are so many seats that are swayed, have swathes of blue that where if you combine the Labour, Liberal, Democrat, and even the Green vote, you can probably oust the Tory MP. So 
heading into a general election, of course, and because of this government being quite old in terms of 11 years, I think they are expecting, if they are the incumbent party, to begin losing more by-elections. Of course, we don't know how many by-elections there are going to be between now and the rumoured general election date of 2023 or the legislative date in 2024. But I think that the overarching message is if this is a precedent, then the Tories are in trouble in places such as this. And there are a number of reasons why the Conservatives might be in trouble in these kind of areas. I think there's a point to be made about Brexit and how Brexit is currently being managed. In this instance, I don't think that was the defining factor. I think it was more the other things. But the question is, and I think you make a really interesting point about tactical voting, is does this pave the way for the future? Is there some kind of shift within the electorate that, that suggests that this might become more of a theme in terms of the number of people who voted tactically? Because we're talking about huge swings. For example, um, let me just read out some of the past results. So in, t- in 2019, the, the Dame Cheryl Gillian, who was the previous MP for this seat, retained the constituency with more than half of the vote. However, the Conservative majority has been falling since the general election in 2015, when it was 23,920. That was with UKIP coming second. In 2017, the majority was was still very, very strong at 22,140, with Labour in second place. However, in 2019, the Liberal Democrats became the second largest party in the constituency, picking up 13 more percent of the vote than they did in 2017. So we're seeing really significant shifts here, and we're seeing the Labour Party in particular go go down from 11,374 votes in 2017 to 422 in, in 2021. And now that obviously isn't something that we're going to see trended across the country. There was actually a really funny tweet from Election Maps UK. I'm not sure if you would have seen it, Zach, of basically mapping out what the country would look like if what we saw yesterday w- was replicated across the country. So here it is. This is purely, I'm quoting the, the Twitter account here, this is purely for fun, so save your grumpy comments. If the swing in Chesham and Amersham was repeated across the country, this is how Parliament would look. The Liberal Democrats would be on 329 seats, Labour 138, the Conservatives 112, SNP 48, Plaid Cymru 3, and the Green Party with 1. So this is kind of how insane and how remarkable this result is. There isn't anything in this result to suggest that Labour's vote is collapsing everywhere. But I think there's certainly argument to be seen that Labour voters and Green Party voters in this instance have voted in their numbers on a tactical basis. And this wasn't done without any with any formal kind of encouragement to do so. In fact, the word in, on, on the street in the constituency is that the Green Party threw a lot of effort into campaigning here. So will this give the Labour Party more reasons to consider entering some kind of electoral pact going in, going into the next election? And how might that look? I, I think it's it's a given, or it's at least it's imperative. If, if Labour are really going to score any any chance of having any sort of minority, even a majority government, then I think they are going to have to actively consider a pact with the Liberal Democrats and even the Green Party, this progressive alliance across the country. I saw, um, this was at probably at the height of the um, Starmer honeymoon, that when the polls were looking good, 
uh, I think Best for Britain published a um, a map of what the country would look like if there was this progressive alliance in every single seat in the country. And I think it gave Labour 359 seats. I think given the, how electoral geography is going as well, Labour are, Labour are at the middle of this big change. And I don't think they can win an election on their own yet. And perhaps I think it, it will stop short with just a coalition. I think you'll see potentially Labour stepping down in sort of con-lib marginals in exchange for the Libs standing out in con-lab marginals. I think the biggest example I can think of is that Kensington result, that if the Liberal Democrats didn't stand, it was very likely that Emma Dent Code would still be the Labour MP for Kensington. Instead, you have Felicity Buchanan in Kensington. So it's it's little things like that, I think, that will drive Labour towards some sort of pact. However, it's about the policy gap. Well, what does Keir Starmer stand for? I don't really know. But given the mood music of where Keir Starmer's trying to score points, it seems it's quite closely aligned to what Ed Davies doing in in stronghold in former Tory strongholds. That if they can come to this solution, that perhaps you'll see this alliance in the south and then and further beyond. But it will be interesting, I think, between now and the next general election, how Labour and the Liberal Democrats do interact with each other. Because, of course, you saw that very fractious relationship in 2019 between Joe Swinson and Jeremy Corbyn. <clears throat> now you've removed both of them from the equation. I think there's definitely room for a pact of some sort. But the extent to which I think depends on the political will in both camps and whether or not the Liberal Democrats can stomach potentially standing down in places where they could potentially win um, if the Tories were that unpopular. In terms of the Liberal Democrats focusing specifically on them for a moment, this is a party that has suffered, I would say, significantly since 2019. Of course, they had the historic result in in the final European elections that, that the United Kingdom took part in. They, they won a majority of the seats on that occasion. 2019 was obviously a rough ride for them in terms of the general election. They voted for the um, dissolution of Parliament and, and for an election to be held when, when perhaps they probably shouldn't have done, tactically speaking. That backfired for them and, of course, the Labour Party too. Is this the start of some kind of Lib Dem fight back? Because, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Liberal Democrats performed relatively well in the local elections this year in England, for example, although the numbers weren't staggering, I think it ranked as the third best Liberal Democrat performance at a local election in terms of seats won, vote share gained, all this kind of stuff. So with that happening earlier this year and with them winning this election here, does this mean, is this something that they can replicate? Of course, we're not expecting a 25% conservative to Liberal Democrat swing in every single seat across the country, obviously not in the North. But is this the start of some kind of Liberal Democrat fight back? Because as Laura Kunzberg writes, the result will give some oxygen to the Lib Dems, perhaps an opportunity for a restart too. And I think the question on my mind is, how do the Liberal Democrats restart and, and what might that restart look like? I think, first of all, as to is there a Lib Dem fight back? Absolutely. And it reminds me, actually, of the Liberal Democrats in 2010, that they had a lot of votes, but they actually went down in terms of seat total. I think the reverse might happen in future elections where 
their vote's actually going to be concentrated. So on the national outlook, it might be that they get absolutely um, thrashed in terms of they go down to probably about 4 or 5%. However, it's where that 4 or 5% is concentrated. If it's mostly concentrated in the South, they are going to do very well at the general election. So I think strategy will pivot towards that. As to the restart, one thing that the Liberal Democrats are still, in a way, clinging on to is obviously Britain's relationship with the European Union. Now, at the next general election, I think the Brexit deal is going to be on the agenda because of a clause in the Brexit deal that talks about the, um, I think it's re- not a renegotiation as such, but a chance to refresh the terms. And I think they might, they might put that in their agenda however if they really do want to restart and I think Ed Davey must be taking this on board and I think the Liberal Democrats are beginning to as well that it's about post-Covid Britain rather than post-Brexit Britain that actually the local issues can be proliferated across the country so what are the national issues apart from Brexit and Covid well how do you build back better to borrow the Conservative phrase and if essentially they can package whatever they're doing into this idea that this is all local stuff it's all it's all building up to this natural picture of serving all parts of the country rather than just one part of the country I, I do think they can restart and the question of how they do so is definitely a complicated one because of the nature of the Liberal Democrat Party itself The other question, one, well, there's two more questions that I have before we end the show, the, the first of which is about the Labour Party. So pretty terrible numbers for Labour at this by-election. I haven't seen much conversation online about the Labour Party in this, apart from kind of very knee-jerk reactions about how Keir Starmer is the worst leader to ever grace the planet. Um, although I guess that that's kind of how I'm framing this question anyway, Zach. So is this a disastrous outcome for Labour, or is this not something that, that they should be losing much sleep over especially considering there are are more by-elections coming up in the near future? I I think the latter. I don't think they're going to lose, they should lose much sleep over this. I think if this was to be repeated in Batley and Spend, for example, that's the next by-election. It's one that Labour really, it's like, in a football analogy, it's a must-win. For Keir Starmer, it's a must-win, or he might even get the sack, that kind of thing. I think they can get a lot of positives out of the Cheshire Amateur result, despite having only about 600 on votes is the idea of tactical voting that it does work it can work and if Keir Starmer was to believe that actually a lot of Labour's lost votes because they they knew that Liberal Democrats were the only ones who had a real chance of displacing the Tories it might be replicated in battling spend to ask the Liberal Democrat voters to lend Labour their vote so I don't think they're going to lose much sleep over it however I think one thing that is concerning is they aren't in effect, losing votes all across the country. And obviously that bleeding has to be stemmed. I don't think that the bleeding has stopped. But going into Batley and Sven, I think it's next uh, two weeks' time, one lesson they can learn is it's about a local-driven campaign. And if they can chart that shift, if they can stop this shift towards the Tories, it will give them optimism as well. But... um, it's a mixed reaction, I think, for Labour, but it's not all doom and gloom, I don't think. I think Keir Starmer can't really be blamed for this result. I think Labour never really had a chance in Cheshire and Amish. I mean, if they did win this seat inexplicably, then 
you'd be talking about they'd be winning every seat in the country. So it's one of those results where Labour really, whatever happened, I don't think could really come into the analysis as as much as we like to, considering, say, for example, Hartlepool. We used a lot of analysis on Labour because they were the incumbent party, they should be winning it, et cetera, et cetera. So no, I don't think they should lose sleep over it, but I think the big the bigger one's coming up. Of course, so so the next by-election is taking place on the 1st of July, back in Spain, previously held by Tracy Brabian, who was elected mayor of West Yorkshire. So, of course, this is a seat in West Yorkshire that is, is widely regarded as, as a part of, of the Red Wall. Uh, back in Spain is predominantly a working-class constituency in the Pennines at the centre of, as I mentioned, West Yorkshire. It's it's quite a diverse seat with, with a significant kind of South Asian population so it'll be interesting to see how Keir, Starmer, Keir Starmer's Labour Party does on this occasion as as you say Zach I think it's a bigger test or rather a more relevant test of, of how the Labour Party is faring than, than what we've just seen in Buckinghamshire yesterday. Um, the final question of the show that I wanted to put to you Zach is what does this result say the most about? Is this result most significant for the Liberal Democrats, the Conservative Party or someone else i suspect it isn't the labor party although I'll, I'll leave it open as a third third choice because i'm not sure whether this is a case of the conservative party completely fumbling the bag which i suspect it is or whether or not it's a case of the liberal democrats pulling off something remarkable that could perhaps be repeated elsewhere so is this more significant for the tories or lib dems i think i think it's more significant for the lib dems just because i think as you quoted Laura Coonsberg's article, it gives them a bit of oxygen that at the, uh, even at the local election of saying they're doing well, but it's very unlikely they're going to put this in a general election footing or even in a constituency footing. And even before the local elections, we were saying, where are the Lib Dems going to go? They're, they're being outpolled by the Greens. They don't really look particularly popular. They've not got much coverage. But a result such as this puts them back in back into kilter, back in back in the news, back in really into some sort of relevance. And they can definitely build from it. I think that's why it's more significant for them than the Tories, because obviously you've got the Tories gaining red wall seats and perhaps some Tories would be would be of the logic that, well, really our losses in these areas are being offset by gains where we never thought we'd we'd get before. As you know, like Hartlepool's never been a Tory seat in its current um, composition. I think the last time Hartlepool was was conservative was 1956. So it's the kind of thing where the map is still being withdrawn, at, redrawn as we're, as we're speaking, at, as time will go on into the next general election. I think we're in the middle of that cycle where the electoral demographics and the geography of kind of where the votes are going is still happening. So those tectonic plates are still moving. So it's, I don't think it's as significant for the Tories and the Lib Dems because the Lib Dems can kick on from this. And they can, in theory, restart the branding of their party, the positioning of their party and all the like. So it's definitely so much more significant for them. Yeah, but me, I think this is more about the Liberal Democrats. I think this doesn't really say anything new about the Conservative Party. I think it was widely recognise that the Tories were going to start to struggle in these kind of seats because of the reasons we've been talking about all the time on this podcast. You can't simultaneously say, look, we're going to level up the North, we're going to focus on the North, we're going to win over these quote-unquote red wall seats, 
and at the same time retain all of the same seats in the traditional parts of the country where you have previously because an electoral coalition is only so elastic and what we're seeing kind of on the on the flip side of this with, with Labour is that the new Labour coalition that, that saw Tony Blair elected numerous occasions no longer exists and I think what we're going to see is the Liberal Democrats pick up more of these seats in in the south perhaps seats that were closely contested between Leith and Remain if not kind of Remain leaning I think that's that's a broad direction of, of, of travel that we are going to be heading in. It's going to be fascinating going forward. I think the only other, other thing to, to note about the Conservative Party is that Boris Johnson's impact on this race was negative. And this, as, as Zach likes to say all the time, this is Boris Johnson, this is, this is the Heineken Tory. And he went to the seat, he visited this seat, and it galvanised the opposition, it galvanised people to, to back a single candidate who could defeat the Conservative Party. Now, in the local elections, Boris Johnson spent a lot of time campaigning in Havering, which is, is, is the borough where, where Zach and I are from. And he did this because it's one of the most solidly conservative places in, in London, essentially. It's right on the cusp of Essex, so it, it's got a really strong conservative base. The, the, the Member of Parliament there, or two or three MPs in Havering, are from the Conservative Party. Now, they did that to try and bolster Sean Bailey's bid for London Mayor. Of course, it was ill-fated, but that, that was kind of the idea to get to get voters out. Um, and I think the, the interesting thing going forward is, will Boris Johnson continue to be a negative impact on these elections? Because if he is, that will, of course, be a major area of concern because he's not doing too well at the moment in terms of, in terms of the discourse, in terms of the narrative around him. Final thing I wanted to say, actually, there was, there was a tweet earlier um, by Dominic Cummings that, that's really interesting and worth repeating at this point in the show. So this is what Dominic Cummings had to say. So this isn't a really long tweet about, about the by-election and how political pundits, I think Zach and I probably included, obviously he's not referencing us, but kind of people like us included, um, don't, don't know anything about politics and political messaging. That, that's pretty much the, the takeaway point from this. Now, this is the seventh tweet of the thread. Dominic Cummings suggests that pundits said at the time that not doing the Andrew Neil interview during the 2019 general election campaign was a huge campaign blunder, to which Dominic Cummings replies in the tweet, and I quote, Why the fuck would we put a gaff machine clueless about policy and government up to be grilled for ages? The upside is zero. For what? This is not a hard decision. Pundits don't understand comms, power or management. Tune out. Now, whether or not that's that's true that that pundits don't understand comms power or management i think is beside the point because i think the prime minister was criticized at the time for not doing the andrew Neil interview not because we thought it was a bad campaign strategy but because it was bad kind of in the sense that he was openly avoiding scrutiny and scrutiny is important in a democracy so that's kind of beside the point but what i think is interesting is that dominic cummings here is acknowledging that and i quote this is a gaff. The, the prime minister is a gaff machine who is clueless about policy and government. If he's clueless about policy and government, and he is not having a good impact on, on the Conservative Party's campaigning, well, that suggests that there's a very, very narrow alleyway of things that the prime minister is good at, and I'm yet to find out what those things are. So that is something to bear in mind going forwards. Zach, 
going to throw this over to you. Any final thoughts for episode 41 of the Midfield Politics Podcast? It's a shame we don't have by-elections more often because they give us so much um, so much material, so much to analyse ahead of the big democratic events of the future that we had the local elections and they looked pretty grim for near enough every opposition party because it showed this idea that the Conservatives may be in power for at least another decade. Fast forward just over a month and it shows you can't take the British electorate for granted that there are occasions where they are going to buck the trend and they are going to put two fingers up to the establishment or two fingers up to the media or two fingers up to the pundits, etc, etc. So going forward, I think my final thought really is you can't take the British electorate for, uh, for granted. Liberal Democrats aren't dead and it makes politics all that more interesting going forward. And that is all we have time for on today's episode of the Midfield Politics Podcast. If you have a minute, we really would appreciate it if you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcast episodes. It just helps new people find the show. Furthermore, if you do enjoy episodes of what we produce, I do recommend that you follow us on Twitter at Midfield Politics. You can also find me at Luke James underscore 32 and you can follow Zach at at ZG1999 underscore. I think that's pretty much everything you need to know for today's episode. We have, of course, been covering the Amersham by-election, of which the Liberal Democrats overturned a 16,000 majority and turned it into an 8,000 majority of their own. That's all for today. Stay safe and keep voting. <laughs>